Well, amen. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to share a message entitled Mother's Love out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, principles that we'll be going over are good principles for all of us. We're supposed to show forth the testimonies of our praise of our God. We're supposed to love one another um, based on the reality of God's love for us. So mother's love in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll begin reading in uh, verse 4. It says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaulteth not itself, is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to be here today. And for this special day, Lord, and uh, we're just thankful uh, for the testimony of godly women who love the Lord, who live for God, and uh, Lord, they impact others that are around them, Lord, uh, because of the love of God that is filling their hearts with praise and worship of you. I pray that if there is someone here this morning who's never trusted Christ as their Savior, May the Holy Spirit speak to them in a special way and, and convict them of their need to be born again and pray that they might come forward and when we give an opportunity for them to, to receive Christ and they would come and believe, be able to leave here knowing they're going to heaven. Pray for every believer today uh, that we might rejoice in the goodness of our God. We might be thankful that uh, before we loved you, you loved us. And, Lord, because of the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts, Lord, we can extend that love and that grace, that mercy to others. And so, Lord, speak to us in a special way this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What a great text here in chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. Uh, oftentimes, this chapter is identified as the great love chapter in the Bible. And uh, it's amazing, different chapters are identified by the main emphasis that are in those chapters. I mean, 1 Corinthians 15 is identified as the, the resurrection chapter. And, and all you can go through and see just emphasis being placed on uh, very serious topics and relationships in uh, many of different chapters in the Bible. This one's focus is on love. It speaks about charity. Charity is a Greek word that deals with love. Uh, that is a sacrificial, it's a biting love, uh, it's a deep love uh, that's not just something that's superficial, that's there for a little while and then kind of passes away, but it's a love that uh, you're able to experience uh, that not only changes your life, but it extends through you and changes the lives of others also. In these uh, verses where we read about charity, uh, it's interesting that there are 16 characteristics of what biblical love is. You know, the world tries to identify love and uh, they, they get it wrong all the time. And it's always based on some sensual type of relationship or emotional relationship. And uh, they just don't understand. They don't get it apart from the love of God. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And 
Uh, for, the for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Apart from God, you can't comprehend what love is. And so when we talk about a mother's love, when we talk about a love that we uh, as a people of God should possess in our life, we have to look to the word of God to be able to know what is characterized as really being love. What is charity? And that's what this chapter does. And so we all want to look at really quickly these 16 character traits that are identified as biblical love. Notice in verse 4 it says, Charity suffereth long. Now, charity suffereth long. Suffering long just simply means that it endures. It goes the extra mile. I've done marital counseling with people that are having problems in their marriage, and how many times I've had people just sit there in front of my desk and say, well, I just don't love them anymore. And I feel like saying, I try to be kind, try to be gracious, but I feel like saying just bluntly, love that's a biblical love goes on. It doesn't stop. It doesn't start for a while, then it stops. It doesn't respond to circumstances in life that all of a sudden it ends. And so when we talk about uh, biblical love, we're talking about one that suffers long, it endures and goes the extra mile. doesn't matter what's going on. Circumstances in life are not the determining factor of whether you love one another or not or whether you love God. It's based on the reality of what love is in and of itself. It suffereth long, and so it endures. It goes on to say, it not only suffereth long, but it says, and is kind. The phrase therein is kind just simply means to do good or to show kindness. You know, people say, well, I love you, but then they treat you harshly. Uh, wait a minute, there's something wrong with that. You know, a man will say, I love my wife, but then he'll beat her. Now, I'm sorry, you don't know what love is. And uh, we say we love our children, but yet there's so many children in America are abused. And uh, we, we need to come back to the reality of the basis of what we define love as being, and it is seen, it's evidence in our life, in that you show kindness one towards another. And so it is kind. It goes on in our chapter. It says, it uh, envieth not. The word envieth not means to burn with zeal. And, uh, of course, it deals with, in a bad sense, uh, envy is you're burning with a zeal of jealousy and resentment towards someone because of the fact that uh, you may not have or you may not do what they do or exp uh, experience what they experience. And so you develop this burning desire to become envious or resentful towards someone because uh, they may not, you may not be experiencing what they're experiencing. But wait a minute, when we love somebody, we don't envy them. A husband and wife don't envy each other because of the fact that we are supposed to love one another. And love does not envy and does not play uh, uh, favorites, if you will, or have a condescending type of spirit. So it envieth not. Notice it says also about love, it vaulteth not itself. This word vaulteth not itself means it does not put oneself on display. You know, we often talk about, talk about modesty and we talk about what, how we should dress or how we should act or how we should conduct ourselves. 
The problem is this, if we dress in a way that we're causing undue attention on ourselves, we're literally putting ourselves on display. And Paul says, if you love the way the scripture says to love, you love like God's love, then it's not about you being on display, as we're going to see in a few moments, it's about the character of Christ being seen in you. And, uh, it, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar business in America is cosmetics. And the reason why it is is because everybody wants to put themselves on display. And uh, wait a minute, we don't, we don't have relationships based on how we can display ourselves one towards another. We have relationships based on the fact that we love one another. And because we love one another, we do not vault ourselves. We don't puff ourselves up. That's the next one, you know, not puffed up. If you're not vaulting yourself, it's kind of hard to be puffed up. And not puffed up means to, uh, is not proud or boastful. It's always amazing uh, how many times I talk with different people and you see that all they want to talk about is themselves. <laughs> it's like, uh, well, I'm a humble person. I'll tell you that. Okay, well, I know you're humble because you told me you're humble. You've been telling me that for the last hour, amen? And <laughs> what the problem is, they're puffing themselves up in pride. And if we truly allow the love of Christ to, to uh, permeate everything that we are, uh, we realize that we are not to live our lives boasting about ourselves. And, and uh, we don't boast about being great parents. We don't boast about being a great wife or a great husband. We allow the Lord to exalt us and allow the Lord to lift us up because we want to love one another. And love is not going to make me uh, put others down by lifting myself up. And so it puffeth, does not puff up. Notice it says here, it's unseemly. It's not unseemly. This word unseemly is a very interesting word because it means it does not conduct oneself in an unacceptable standard of conduct. Unseemly. Much of what goes on in American society is unseemly. If you want to be able to define what is going on, that's a good word to use because they are conducting themselves in an inappropriate way. And uh, we need to be mindful of the fact that because I, I, for myself, I love my wife, and so I'm going to be very careful how I act. I'm going to be very careful how I interact with other women. I'm going to be very careful about how I, I live my life because I don't want to do anything that's inappropriate. And it's, it's under, but here's the problem. The world tries to define what inappropriate is. And things that were inappropriate years ago, 20, 30 years ago, not even the unsaved crowd would do, the saved crowd is doing it. So we need to get back to biblical love, which realizes this, the, the way we conduct ourselves is based upon what God has so stated, not what the, the society is becoming. So it's not unseemly. Notice it says in now uh, it says seeketh not her own. That means it does not put oneself first or does not take the preeminence. Seeketh not our own. And so biblical love always puts us in a position of seeking that which is of Christ and not seeking our own. We don't want to have the preeminence. We want others to be first. They often say joy is spelled Jesus, others, and you. But we don't like that. We wonder why we're so dissatisfied with life because we've become a me society. 
You know, we have this whole thing, me too thing going on and all this, that, and you know, everything's about me, 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 and we wonder why nobody's happy. And it's because of the fact real love, real love does not seek our own, is not easily provoked. That means simply does not get angry quickly. And in other words, you got your anger under control. The Bible has much to say about the angry man. The Bible has much to say about anger. But wait a minute, if we're really allowing the love of Christ that is given to us to permeate everything that we are, we're easy, it's easy for us to enable us to be able to control our emotions and we don't get easily angry or provoked. Notice it goes on to say, where am I in here? I'm losing my places. Not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. That simply means this, gives the benefit of doubt, does not look for the bad. And, you know, sometimes it would be nice just for Christians to give another Christian the benefit of doubt. I mean, we're living in a society that you, you don't have to have any evidence about anything. All you have to do is say something about somebody and their life, their career is ruined. And the reason why their life and their career is ruined is because of the fact everybody casts doubt on the person with no evidence of what the problem is. That should not be the spirit and attitude in our marriages. That should not be the spirit and attitude in our churches. It should not be our spirit in our relationships and our homes. Thinketh no evil. Notice it goes on and says, rejoiceth not in iniquity. That simply means is not happy when there is an injustice or an unrighteous act. Don't rejoice when someone falls into sin. Don't rejoice because someone made a mistake. You rejoice not in iniquity. That's what the love of God does. God doesn't rejoice over our sin. God grieves over our sin. God extends mercy and grace to us because of our sin. And so the love of God that's in us we think no evil, rejoice not in iniquity. And it says, rejoices in truth. That means that which is true in any matter, socially or religiously. <laughs> we're excited about the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can rejoice that the word of God is true. And we, we rejoice in what God has stated. We don't get angry with it. We don't get mad at it. We don't refute it. We just accept it because it's truth. And rejoices in truth. Then it says, beareth all things. That means to cover or conceal or to keep in confidence. Carries with it the idea it's not a gossip. I mean, we love one another. We don't talk about people. We love each other. We don't talk about people. We don't spread rumors about people. We, uh, somebody shares a burden on your heart. Uh, you keep that burden and you lay it before the throne of God. You don't bear those confidential relationships and statements that are made. Beareth all things. Uh, next one is believeth all things. And that's carrying with the idea in a religious sense. Uh, believe what God has said, says as absolute truth. He believeth all things. I remember an old preacher years ago said uh, somebody was arguing with him about uh, you actually believe that the, uh, uh, the whale swallowed up Jonah. And the old preacher said, well, I'll tell you, I believe the word of God so much that if it had said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I would have believed it. Amen. Uh, we just need to believe the word of God. The love of God, our love for God, enables us to rejoice in truth, bear all things, and believe all things. We trust God. 
Then it says, hopeth all things. That means to completely trust God for the joy of salvation. We always have hope. There's always hope with God. It doesn't matter what's going on. There is always hope. And endureth all things. That means to persevere, to continue on. There's t- Listen, there's times you just don't feel like getting up and going. There's times when it just feels like life is just too heavy and the burdens are too strong. And I just, but wait a minute, the love of God that's in my heart enables me to get up and keep going. Endureth all things. Then it says, never faileth. Never faileth. It means to fall out, fall down, to lose. And so love, charity that Paul's revealing here is one that continues on impacting our lives and others And the Apostle Paul wrote about the dangers in Romans 1 about uh, women changing their natural use for their bodies. He talked about their changing uh, their ability to love the way God had designed for them to love. And there's a danger today that when we talk about a mother's love, we talk about Christian love, that we need to comprehend what the Bible reveals about that and follow the pattern that is set for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, with all that said, here we go. That's all an introduction. I'll give you a little outline. First of all, love, this kind of love, molds. In other words, it makes a difference in someone else's life. And uh, when you think about a mother's love, a mother's love is molding because of the influence of a mother. And uh, the amazing thing is that when you think of... Uh, uh, from the time that child is conceived in the womb of a woman, she gives birth to that child. Uh, she has a, com- a complete influence on that child all the days of its life. And uh, it's just it's an amazing thing to stop and just realize how much you impact the next generation, ladies. Uh, you know, everybody's worried about equal rights and equality and all these different things and in our society and all that. But wait a minute. Uh, there's only uh, one person that can have a baby, and that's a woman. Amen. And, and your ability to influence that child and your ability to teach that child and direct that child is literally establishing the generation to come. And uh, I think we, we have fallen short in this uh, era of feminism and everything else that women have thought that, and I'm going to be going over some of this stuff in Sunday school, women have developed the idea that their life is not significant unless they're out there in the corporate world. But the reality is their greatest influence that you have is not in the corporate world, but rather the world in your home. The world in training your children and teaching your children. And it's an alarming thing in America. The birth rate is dropping and dropping and dropping. The birth rate in America. And uh, literally, you say by, I think it's 19, it's in my notes for Sunday school. By 19, by 1940, I think, I mean 2040, 2030 or 2040, one of those two dates, uh, that the Muslim population in America will out, grow the Jewish population and they will become the second in number of how many people are in America uh, uh, below Christianity. And I think it's by 2050 they're predicting that the Muslim population in America will outgrow the Christian population. 
And they said this, in the world, in the world, it is a major religious shift that's going to take place in the world. And we have faced that, we are facing that, and that is becoming a problem because of the fact that we have allowed ourselves as Christians to let the world embed in our minds and change our focus that the most significant and most important thing that a woman can do is have children and raise them for God. And I, the, I don't know why we didn't get a hearty amen there. That, ladies, let me just say this. That is the most significant and most important thing that you can do in your life as God has designed it to experience his love to where you have children and you mold those children into the image of Jesus Christ the influence of a mother. I thought about this love not only models because of the influence of a mother, but because of the discipline of a mother. And uh, you're the discipline your children. You're to correct them when they are wrong. I just think it's always interesting. We can have children in our school, and uh, they're perfectly fine in the classroom. They know what's required of them, and as soon as mom shows up, they're out of control. They're out of control. And it's because mom doesn't discipline them. And I don't know how many times Pastor Dewan and I have had to meet with parents and tell the parents and tell the mothers specifically, uh, you need to be a parent. You need to discipline your children. Uh, you don't leave your children unto himself. A, a child left unto himself bringeth his mother shame. So the influence of a mother, you say, well, why would I do that? Because you love your children. That's why. And love molds people. The love of Christ molds us into the image of Christ for whom the Lord did foreknow. He did predestinate that we should be conformed to the image of his son. And so that a molding process, it takes place because of love. And so the influence of a mother, the discipline of a mother. I thought about the provision of a mother and how a mother cares for her children and how she provides for her children as a priority in her life. And I just, I think of my mom growing up, you know, I know my mom went without a lot of things uh, over the years because of the fact she wanted to, to take care of our, her children in a proper way. Uh, I remember my mom, uh, because of her love for her husband and love for her children, when people advised my mom and really pressed her and, and uh wrote her back about the fact of leaving my father because of the situations that were going on. My mom absolutely would not. She said, my, I'm, I love my husband. He's my husband. And I need to stay with my husband because the Bible tells me to, so. And my husband is the father of my children. And I am praying for my husband to be the proper father with my children. My children need their father. And she sacrificed and she went through much in her life because of the fact she, her focus was her love caused her to provide for her children. And I was talking with Joanne and talking about her mom and the difficulties she's had over her life and dealing with things and jobs that she had to work and everything else for one reason, because she loved her children, she provided for her children. You, you, you know this, that when we talk about love that molds, is a love that puts us in a position where we're willing to sacrifice so that we can meet the needs of others and direct their life. So love molds. 
love models, and I'm not talking about the world's modeling. I'm talking about being an example. You know, in John chapter 11, verse 35 and 36, when Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus, he comes and the first thing he does in John chapter 11 and verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. And uh, as always, it's always to get tickled with kids and say, well, you can memorize a Bible verse. We want to memorize the John eleven thirty-five, 35. And uh, uh, it says Jesus wept, but the response, that's an amazing thing that, that it states that Jesus wept, but he was an example to others because the response of the people were, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And so the, the impact was not so much that he wept as the recording of the response of people who saw him weeping and it impacted their life because he was being an example to them. You know, when we talk about love that models an example, we're talking about love that is willing to sacrifice. And you think about all that Hannah was willing to sacrifice when she prayed for her son and God gave her a son, she promised she, he would be lent to the Lord and she gave him back to her God and it was a sacrifice for her to do that. And so it's always willing to sacrifice. It is always, love that models, is always willing to be submissive. And I know that's a bad word in 2020, 2019. We won't get to 20 yet anyway. Uh, but in Acts chapter 18, we read about Priscilla, a great godly woman who loved the Lord, but it's amazing to me that Priscilla in Acts chapter 18 and verse 2 is always identified with her husband. Acts chapter 18 and verse 2 says, and they found certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontius, lately come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And so every time you read of Priscilla, you always read her a name being identified with her husband. You know, the greatest thing you can do, ladies, is to realize that the way you live a Christian life that's an example to others is a married woman, you're committed to your husband. You're identified with your husband. You know, God created Adam, and when he created Adam, he caused him to have a deep sleep, and he brought woman out of the man, created a woman out of man, and Adam called her woman because she was part of him. And I think so many times what we've done, we have allowed ourselves to forget that when we say, I do, in marriage, we become one flesh, and we are identified with each other. And so here is Priscilla. She's identified with her husband. Notice that she was never mentioned without her husband. Uh, not, you read, anytime you read about Priscilla, it's always Priscilla and Aquila. It's, she's never mentioned without her husband. Notice she worked with her husband in verse 3 of Acts chapter 18. And because she was of the same craft, uh, I'm sorry, he was of the same craft, that's Aquila, her husband. He abode with them. That's Apostle Paul stayed with them and wrought for by their occupation. Let's talk about Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, they were tent makers. And so she uh, worked with her husband in their company business, if you will. 
Uh, they were identified with each other. They're always mentioned with each other, and they were always there working together. And so it's, it's a joint experience. When we, we talk about a husband and wife, it's not just doing your own thing. So when I do counseling with folks, I tell them, it's not about your life and his life. It's about our life together. You're one flesh, and we identify with that. Why would we allow ourselves that? Because that's what love does. Love binds us together. She worked with her husband. She ministered with her husband in Acts chapter 18. I love it when men and women are serving the Lord together in the church. It says, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla had heard it, they took him under, unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Apollos has come in. He's preaching the word of God. Uh, he does not have a full understanding of the scriptures. And it's a Priscilla and Aquila who pull him to the side and teach him the word of God. And you say, why would that take place? Because love models. Love is willing to submit to the needs of others. It's willing to submit... Uh, to the body of Christ. It's willing to submit and teaching the word of God. It's willing to submit to husbands and wives together, our children submitting to their parents. I mean, love that models the character of Christ is willing to have a submissive spirit. But it's also willing to shine for Christ. In Luke chapter 1, we read of Mary when she finds that she is going to have uh, the Son of God uh, be born of her, her response to the announcements, Mary said, my soul does magnify the Lord. Amen. She didn't exalt herself. She didn't try to magnify herself. She said, my soul does magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. She wasn't embarrassed to be of a lowest state. She was in a submissive position and posture. She was willing to sacrifice of herself for the coming of the Messiah. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. She was not acknowledging the desire for it, but rather she declared the reality of people would be rejoicing through her that the Messiah would come. She says, for that is mighty, he that is mighty hath done to me great things and holy is his name. She wanted to shine for the Lord. So love models, love molds. And then the thing, last thing is this, love motivates others to Christ. Ladies, let me encourage you with this. A mother's love is not just molding other people for God, your children and your family, not just being an example to those that are around you, but you're a motivator to others. And here, here's some thoughts here. First of all, because people say, well, you, you Baptists, you just want to put women down. Well, remember this. It was women who brought, it was a woman who brought the Samaritans to Christ. In John chapter 4, Jesus met, meets with this woman who had a, a, a very bad past. He said, go get your husband. She said, I have not a husband. He said, you said, well, uh, you've had five husbands and the man that's with you right now is not your husband. You talk about being direct and blunt to the point. Then he goes on and reveals to her who he is and how she could drink of water where she would never thirst again. And she receives Christ as her Savior. And it was this Samaritan woman who ran in the town saying, come and see a man 
who told me all that I ever done. Certainly this must be the Christ. And so it was a woman who brought the Samaritans to Christ. Notice it was a, the women that came to the tomb in Matthew 28. Where are the men? Ooh. Where are the men? Where the men generally are. Oh, the ladies are wanting me to stop there and go there for a little while. The men are saying, don't go there. And the women say, go ahead. You have permission. It's interesting that the women went to the tomb, but the men were not there. They were up in the upper room hiding. Remember this, it was women that informed the disciples of the resurrection. And they didn't like it either. And they didn't want to listen to it. You know, sometimes you men, you just need to realize this. You need to listen to your wife once in a while. Amen. Help me out here, ladies. I am. It was a woman that brought the Samaritans to Christ. It was women that came to the tomb. It was women that informed the disciples of the resurrection. And it was the women that were with the men in the upper room who were praying for the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to tell you one thing. You get a group of women weeping before God and crying out that God, something will happen. And I'm going to tell you, God answered their prayers and God responded to who they were and what they were accomplishing because of the fact the Messiah was presented. There were souls that were saved. The Holy Ghost came down and I'll tell you, the church came alive on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved. It may have been Peter, the man standing up and preaching on the day of Pentecost, but it was the women who prayed down the power of God. You say, why would they do that? Because love motivates others to come to Christ. You say, well, I really love the Lord. Then what are you doing to get people saved? You say, I really love the Lord. What are you doing? Your children are wayward. Let me challenge you this, ladies. Don't compromise with your children when they go away. Train up a child in ways you go when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Claim the promises of God and stand for God. The greatest love that you can demonstrate is a commitment to Christ irregardless of what others may say or whatever, whatever it is they may do. The love of Christ that is in you is what motivates you to be a witness and a testimony for others. You say, why would all that take place? Because Paul tells us 16 character traits of what love is. Allow the love of Christ to blossom and grow and empower you to be able to make a difference. I believe women can make a difference in the church. I believe women can make a difference in the world that we live in. And I believe that women in America have lost their way. And they need to come back to Christ. And they start living according to the godly principles that are in the word of God. And I'm going to tell you, that's what works. That's what works. All this other stuff doesn't work. But when you have love that is so strong, a love that is so unchanging, a love that is so committed to Christ, I'm going to tell you nobody can stand against that. And God will be glorified and people's lives will be changed. Oh, I believe because of a mother's love. Let's bow our head. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. Uh, we do love you, Lord, and we only say that because of the fact that you first loved us. 
You commended your love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, you provided an example. You gave us instruction. You've opened the way of understanding of the power of love. I pray for these ladies today, whether it be young girls, uh, single ladies, married women, widowers, widows, whatever it may be in their life, Lord, right now, wherever stage in life they are in, may they realize that the love that you have instilled in their hearts is a powerful thing. I pray, God, that when they feel alone, when they feel they have nowhere to turn, when they feel like no one's with them, God, I pray that they might realize they can cast all their care on you for you care for them. So help us, Lord, as men. I pray you'd help us as men to realize the power of love. As men, I pray that you'd help us to respond to the love that we see in the women. God, I pray that we'll be able to see our church strengthened and the gospel revealed and the spirit of God moving in the hearts of people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's